we're in the book of Amos today, we come to one of my uh, favorite passages in Amos. Um, and I'm, I know in the, in the worship folder, it specifies that it starts at verse 21 in chapter 5. I'm actually going to start in verse 4 and then move to verse 21. So in the Bible's in the pews, it begins on page 737 from the book of Amos. Now, this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. Don't worship at the pagan altars at Bethel. Don't go to the shrines of Gilgal or Beersheba. For the people of Gilgal will be dragged off into exile, and the people of Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Verse 6. Come back to the Lord and live. Otherwise, he will roar through Israel like a fire devouring you completely. Your gods in Bethel won't be able to quench the flames. You twist justice, making it a bitter pill for the oppressed. You treat the righteous like dirt. It is the Lord who created the stars, the Pleiades, uh, we call them the seven sisters, and Orion. He turns darkness into morning and day into night. He draws up water from the oceans and pours it down as rain on the land. The Lord is His name. With blinding speed and power, he destroys the strong, crushing all their defenses. How you hate honest judges. You despise people who tell the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will not live there ever. And though you plant lush vineyards, you will not drink wine from them. Because I know the vast number of your sins and the depths of your rebellion. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. And so those who are smart will keep their mouths shut because it's an evil time. Do what is good. Run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate evil, love what is good, turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet, the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. And now moving down to verse 21. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies, and I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away from me with your noisy hymns. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, what I want is to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteousness. 
May God bless the reading of God's word, and would you pray with me? God, may we hear your spirit. May we listen to your word. And may we know the love of Jesus. We pray these things by the Spirit in his name. Amen. Yesterday, uh, my son Jack, he's four, asked me, Daddy, how do you worship God in church? Well, I was like, well, you know, you raise him and you praise him. And I thought to myself, my little boy, growing a little heart of worship. But little did I know it was a setup. (laughs) As soon as I lifted my arms, he lunged forward and began tickling me. (laughs) Right here. Fool me once. (laughs) But it's a good question, isn't it? How do you worship God at church? There are so many different ways, no? Uh, Here, we like our music and the praise band. Make sure we have some hymns in there. Maybe some KTIS stuff. Got to have some gospel. That's my favorite. Now, other churches, other churches are even louder. Or it's darker inside. And still others have these incredible organs and choirs. Some, some churches, they got smoke machines and lights. Other congregations are a, a sea of hands in the air. Eyes closed all over, swaying. Right? Other places are more solemn, contemplative, silence. Some churches incorporate incense and fragrance. I don't know about you, but I believe that each of these things in their own way do express people's devotion and admiration for their God. A lifting of the heart to Jesus Christ, the object of our worship. When it comes to the prophets, whether they were proclaiming God's message in the northern kingdom or in the southern kingdom, they had two things about worship that would get them to just jump up and down and start yelling, sometimes literally. Everything else about worship pales in comparison to these two things. First, they, and they were adamant about this, for worship to be acceptable to Yahweh your God, you must worship Yahweh alone. It's exclusive. No other God gets our worship. The people of Yahweh must remain faithful to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and in a cultural setting back then, where people by and large were polytheistic, worshiping many gods and assuming that the gods were just fine with this, the prophets stood tall, kind of in defiance of this 
assumption, they were absolutely resolute that Israel's fidelity must be to Yahweh. And this might be the single most unifying theme in all of the Old Testament. The first commandment, you will have no other gods but me. The second commandment, you shall make no images of any gods, no figures of worship, or what we call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone, right? Because Yahweh is the creator, um, for example, in I, I mentioned, right, uh, he created uh, Pleiades and Orion, the constellations, and later he says, why were you sacrificing to your star gods? Why would you do that when Yahweh made the stars? They had entered into a covenant with Yahweh, and Yahweh is the one who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. When they were oppressed by their enemies, who raised up warriors and judges to protect them? When they were being pressed in on every side by the nations around them, who was their help? So that's the first item of worship that the prophets say is important. It reminds me of what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. But the second concern for the prophets, the second important piece of worship had to do with justice and righteousness. Sometimes we hear the word righteousness and we think of a person being kind of, you know, self-righteous. Or they think they're better than other people. Or maybe they're a prude. (laughs) No fun to be around. But when the prophets talk about righteousness, they're talking about the way people treat other people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Righteousness had to do with fairness, equity, equality, a generosity, compassion, mercy. God had these things written into the good book, and God expected people to demonstrate this kind of compassion, care, concern that God also expressed to, to people. Right? And what I find so striking about this passage and others like it in the prophets that we just read is how Amos so tightly joins these two things together with worship, fidelity to God, and justice. This is worship. Did you catch that? These are critical aspects of worship. Being faithful to Yahweh, living a life life of justice and righteousness. These are the two most important elements of a life of worship there is. The forms of worship, not nearly as important. Fidelity to God, love of others. Everything else is gravy. Worship with a harp, a drum, a hymn, an electric guitar. Raise your hands. Keep them in your pocket. What does any of that matter if there's no faithfulness to God? A young woman should not care about the size of the ring when her boyfriend is running around with other gals. And what of justice and righteousness? Amos basically calls them worship, doesn't he? True worship, right? 
get away with all this stuff. Get away. I want a flood of justice and I want righteous living. That's worship, is what he's saying. Get these acts of worship out of my face. Gatherings and songs and sacrifices and hymns. Get away. I want justice. I want righteousness. It's like a parent who wants nothing more for Christmas than that the children would just treat each other with some kindness and respect. (laughs) Listen to what God says through Isaiah. What kind of fasting have I chosen for you? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not the kind of fast I have called for? To share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. This is worship now. Not how you get saved. Worship. God says through Hosea, quoted by our Lord Jesus, what do I really want? I want mercy, not sacrifice. I want you to know my character, not burnt offerings. Uh, By the way, that's Isaiah 58, Hosea 6. God says through the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, what good is frankincense? You know, frankincense smells so good, right? Why make sacrifices? A sweet smell is when you walk in my ways and when you walk in the ways of goodness. That's a sweet smell to my my nostrils. Rob, you said something that was so good I actually wrote it down this week. (laughs) Frank, one time. (laughs) How do they put it? Even a, a, a clock that stopped is right twice a day. Okay, anyway, I digress. <laughs> With friends like these, right, Rob? Why do I do this to you? I don't know. You, you give us this music, and I repay you. Anyway, here's what you said. A life of worship should always propel us to God's justice. You see why I wrote it down? That's pretty good. I would also say, when a life of worship is devoid of justice, it's a stench to God. A life of worship should propel us to God's justice and and righteousness. And if a life of worship is devoid of that, it is a stench, just like the prophets tell us. And these are the ways that we can mature and grow spiritually in our worship that we would grow and mature in our worship. There was a time when we were young in our faith and our personal preferences of worship dictated where we worshiped and how we worshiped. My personal preference may even have informed what I thought about other forms of worship. When I was a child, I thought like a child. But to mature in a life of worship means to grow in devotion to Jesus. to grow in our devotion to Jesus and to grow in our devotion to His righteousness and loving our neighbor. 
These things come from knowing God. These things come from knowing God. Fidelity. That's the heart of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, says Jesus. He is the faithful one. Uh, a bent reed, he is never denied. Okay. I've got these three application points I'd like to share with you now. How can we grow and mature in our worship? These are just some ideas. Okay. You could add more. Come up with more as you talk with family and loved ones. One, let us educate ourselves regarding an issue of God's justice, compassion, and mercy. Issues like hunger or housing. What actually helps people? What can we learn about, about issues surrounding those who are the most vulnerable in our society? The unborn, the immigrant, children, the poor, those with no resources. What can we learn about human trafficking, mass incarceration, abortion? When we humble ourselves to become better educated, often God will grow compassion and love in us, revealing to us his own heart. And this can deepen our understanding of worship and also spur us to get active in the work of the kingdom of God. So, education. And I know, it's not lost to me how many educators are in the room. Okay. Number two, in our day-to-day lives, this one is, I think, difficult. To ever ask this question, how can I worship God right now in this moment? Nothing can jolt us out of our own personal preferences than our day-to-day activities. The people we run into, the things that pop up. How do I show compassion right now? How do I show my loyalty to Jesus here and now? Milk just got spilled on the table? No amen to that? Are my kids the only, am I the only one? Okay. Somebody just cut me off. Someone just gave me a harsh word. I know this happens. How do I worship God right now, right here? A kind word in response, maybe. I have hands for helping. A generous response. How do I worship through this season of life in loss? in gain, in my marriage with my aging parents? How do I, in this season, show my faithfulness to Jesus and a commitment to God's righteousness? And now, do not forget, I'm still in number two here. We have an enemy who wants to trip us up. I probably don't say it enough. We have an enemy who wants to trip us up, who doesn't want our loyalty going to Jesus, who doesn't want our lives to reflect the goodness and the righteousness of our God. There's an enemy, and there are forces out there pushing against this, and so it won't be easy. But take heart, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. You have strength from the very throne of God who fashioned Orion. 
let us worship in our day-to-day lives. Number three, is Lisa here today? Lisa's always begging me for three-point sermons. Good thing it's online. Number three, I can't take credit for this one. This one comes from my lovely wife. I said, how do you think people can grow? And she said this. We need to find people who will support us in our life of worship. Oh, that's true. That's true. Who are the takers in our lives and who are the givers? Who will support a life of worship? The one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the the God of our Lord Jesus. What pulls us from worship? What propels us to worship? Can we surround ourselves with people at work, people uh, on Facebook? I was reminded, I don't do Facebook, but I was reminded that there's good stuff on Facebook and there's not good stuff on Facebook. Well, that's kind of like just everywhere. We need to surround ourselves with people who will be an encouragement to worship God. We need to surround ourselves with people, dare I say it, at church, too, who will support our life of worship. So at Christmas time, <clears throat> uh, it's, it's my family and my siblings and my mom, and, and, and we're all opening presents from Grandma. You know, the kids start, and, and we, we, we notice a theme. Uh, you might call it an essential oils theme. Someone opens it and there's essential oils soap, essential oils lip balm, essential oils beard product. Okay, we all got essential oil stuff. And the house smells so good now. You walk by, you, you must have on grandma's lip balm, huh? It smells so good. It smells so good in the house. Rather fragrant. Well, the essential oils of a life of worship is loyalty to our faithful God who is loyal to us and the love for one another that God also showers upon us. As it says in 2 Corinthians, we are the sweet aroma of Christ to God. What brings us this fragrance is God's work in our lives. It seals our hearts to Jesus, grows us in a heart for others, a sweet aroma to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, please mature us in the way that we worship you. In song, yes. In prayer, yes. In our actions every day, and our loyalty to you. May all these things, everything we do, be, a, be, a, be a, an act of worship. Like it says, uh, let our lives, may our bodies be living sacrifices to you. And I also pray this, God. that we would hear your voice whispering to us that we are yours and that you are in control. 
that we are yours and you are in control. I pray these things in Jesus' name, his holy name. Amen, amen.